0: Welcome back to another episode of the Passionate Stewardship Podcast, a podcast for helping professionals who strongly believe in supporting their communities and the humans who live there. I am your host, Dr. Sherry. As we begin to bring Black History Month to a close, even though the month is not over yet, this would be our last episode. The month of February, I wanted to take this time to first acknowledge that Black history is every day, and we will continue to highlight and uplift Black and African American people, specifically human service professionals and social workers on this podcast. We have been even before February began, and we will in the future. I have had an amazing time creating content for you in February and delivering these episodes to you. And my hope is that you have learned something from each episode and the, the guest that we had. I mean, we had some great guests this month talking to Everett Spate and Dr. Latonya Simpson Spate. What they are doing in Eastern North Carolina, specifically the Wilson community, is absolutely amazing. And I'm not just saying that because they are one of my consulting clients, but I saw firsthand what they were doing in the community for their people before they became a consulting client. How about that conversation with Jonathan Brunson? Like, come on. Like, he is a powerful, powerful individual. So we had some really good guests this month, y'all. As we begin to move into the third month of the year, y'all, can you believe it? Goodness. I just wanted to leave you all with four little nuggets to support you along your journey in ensuring that Black and African-American representation is always at the forefront of what we do in this world and what we do in our work and how you can always ensure that you are holding and creating space for representation. So we talked a little bit about this in the episode with Jonathan, but I want to expand it just a little bit more because there are some other terms that go with it. So again, although both terms, Black and African-American are acceptable terms, I personally don't care which one you use for me, as long as you use Black or African-American, not all people who are Black, identify as African-American, and vice versa. You may also hear people use the term Black or African diaspora. And I believe I have also mentioned those terms a few episodes ago. When you are working with supporting or encountering a person who identifies as being from the African diaspora, That means this person identifies being a descendant from the historic migration of people from Africa that occurred during the 15th century. Over the years, this term has been, and this information, again, let me pause right here for everybody. Y'all know, I love to fact check. And again, I'm not a historian, but I love to know about my people. I love to know about Black people. I love to know about Black history. I love to know about African-American history. And I'm going to tell you why. Because in school, for me, in elementary school, high school, junior high school, growing up in D.C. public school system, they kept you with the basics. And the basics were amazing. You learned about Dr. Martin Luther King. You learned about Malcolm X. You learned about Sojourner Truth. You learned about Harriet Tubman, who I absolutely adore. And I use basic loosely because there was nothing about those amazing Black African-American powerhouses that was basic. But that's who you typically learned about. But there was so much more about Black and African-American history that just wasn't taught. And now you have people who are literally trying to erase our education from school systems. Okay, I ain't gonna to go there, but you know what I'm saying. So over the years, the term African diaspora has been narrowly defined to include only the transatlantic slave trade this definition emphasizes the important roles that blackness slavery colonialism racism and geography played in sustaining the transatlantic slave trade this is the reason why some people refer not just african diaspora but also now the black diaspora And a lot of times when people refer to themselves as I I, I am from the Black diaspora or I'm from the African diaspora, trust, they've done their research. They've done their ancestry. They know for a fact where they come from. So when you hear someone use those terms, respect those terms because that's how they want to be identified. And we should always respect how someone wants to be identified. So that's nugget number one. Nugget number two, the reality is Black and African Americans are disproportionately impacted by health, wealth, and educational disparities at alarming rates. And in all honesty, it does not have to be. You know, one of the health disparities that is completely alarming, especially for Black women, is that Black women die three times more often than white women while giving birth. Like, that is so disheartening, and it doesn't have to be. I am a huge proponent of advocating for self. Regardless of what socioeconomic background you come from, regardless if you are on private insurance or if you are on public issued insurance, you have every right to advocate for your health care. Every right. You have every right to advocate for your body, for what is going on in your body, for what is going inside of your body. You have every right please advocate for yourself please if you can take someone else with you to the doctors and human service professionals and social workers please don't for one second feel and or think that be that your clients don't have these same rights don't for one second think that your clients Don't have the right to identify and to tell you, I want to be addressed as a Black woman or a Black man, or I want to be addressed as an African American woman or an African American man, or I want to be addressed as being from the Black or African diaspora, because they have that right. Please don't for one second feel that your clients can't advocate, like, no, I don't want to go to that doctor, no, or I would like some assistance when I go to this doctor because I don't feel like this doctor is hearing me. Like these are things that we need to be listening to when we are when we are with our clients and when we are processing things with our clients. It's really, really important. You still should not be in 2023 and black and African-Americans should still be disproportionately impacted by these things. It just shouldn't be. We gotta do better as a mother. Giving birth was one of the hardest things, but it was one of the most, it was, it was beautiful afterwards, <laughs> but to know that something that someone could have wanted for so long and did all the right things, her concerns were ignored. Like we see all the time, these videos that are passed around on social media, you know, black women are recording nurses and doctors who are ignoring them when they are in pain or ignoring them when they are explaining to them, like, this is what I'm experiencing. Like, that should not be. So that's nugget number two. Like, we have to, we have to hear, we have to hear when our Black and Brown and our Black and African American clients are talking to us about You know, hey, I need some help filling out this job application. I wanna go to school, but I I need a little bit of help. Like we have to hear them. Number three, allyship and advocacy. Allyship and advocacy from and by white people or someone with privilege is important for marginalized groups of people. And if you do not know how to become one, then let's have that conversation because we need you. Better yet, we can still have that conversation. But we've also provided some really good reads that'll be in the show notes of this episode from some amazing Black women. I don't know if they refer to themselves as Black or African-American or of the Black or African diaspora. So some amazing Black or African-American women or Black or African diaspora identified women that will be in this episode. I mean, amazing. And yes, I've read all of them. I mean, amazing books that can help you along your journey to become an ally and that can become a better advocate. Amazing reads. Okay. Amazing. We need allyship. We need it, we need it, we need it. In the book, Allies and Advocates, Creating Inclusive and Equitable Cultures, allyship is defined as when a person with privilege and and power seeks to learn about experiences of a marginalized group of people, develops empathy for them, and identifies ways to extend their very own privilege to the marginalized group the author also defines advocacy as the process where someone with privilege and power is willing to take steps to protect, publicly support, and dismantle systems against a marginalized group of people. So that definition of advocacy is very reminiscent of how Tamika D. Malvery breaks down in her book, the state of emergency, how we win in the country we built, how she says we need accomplices. And I love how if you haven't read her book, you need to read her book. If you have not followed her on social media, you need to follow her on social media because this is everything. But it's very reminiscent of how she says we need accomplices. And, you know, when you hear the word accomplices, you know... You certainly, you you think of committing a crime. So we certainly don't want nobody out here committing no crimes on our behalf. However, for the sake of this conversation, we want someone who is knowingly, voluntarily, and intentionally ready to shake things up to ensure that Black and African-American people, we get what we need. Like, we want somebody who ain't scared. We want someone who's going to use their power and privilege to shake shit up on our behalf and make things happen. This is what we need. We need allies to the 66.9% white social workers and the 58.6% white human service professional. This is what your Black and African-American clients need. They need you to shake shit up on their behalf when systems are against them, when systems are making it hard for them to access services. This is what they need. They don't need for you to back off because a system is giving them a hard way to go. When you know that if that client wasn't Black, they were not. They would not be giving them a hard way to go. They need you to shake shit up for them. Okay, to our white colleagues, to our white friends and family members, we need you to shake shit up. When you see that there's an injustice happening against a black or African-American man or black or African-American transgender man or woman or black or African-American non-binary man or woman or black or African-American gay or lesbian man or woman, you you get the picture. We need you to shake shit up on our behalf because we can't do it by ourselves. And see, this is the thing. We know that not everybody is out to get us. And so for those of you who are not out to get us, and for those of you who are not scared to shake shit up a bit, we need you. We need you to stand with us and to not sit back and allow things to continue to keep happening to us. So That's nugget number three. Be in allyship. Become an advocate. But like the great Tamika D. Mallory says, become an accomplice as well. Nugget number four, within nonprofit organizations and social service organizations, if your staff makeup is not reflective of your client demographic, you are doing yourself and your clients a disservice. We just had a whole episode on representation. Representation matters. In addition to their needs being met, there needs to be consistent diversity, inclusion, and equity training and work being done to ensure that staff and clients get the best from everyone. There's a a research article that I was reading that was talking about the anti-racist framework that's not being taught in social work curriculum. And that article link will be in the show notes. It talks about how racial disparities in social care and healthcare outcomes in health and social care or access to services or punitive mental health treatment result in the circles of fear that prevent marginalized people from seeking help. And because many social work schools do not adequately teach anti-racism work, that if organizations aren't intentionally ensuring that anti-racism work is being done, then it's doing, this is where the disservice is taking place because it's not being taught properly when folks are being educated in the universities. So if the universities aren't doing it and then the organizations aren't doing it, then who is? We have to ensure that we are positioning our individual selves, our staff, and our system itself, meaning the organization, in a way that we are representing cultures. If we are making it all about funding, If we are making it all about grant reports, if we are making it all about numbers, then you're just completely doing the clients that you are serving a disservice. If most of your clientele are Black or African American and no one on your staff looks like your clientele, that is problematic. What I am not saying is that a white professional cannot adequately service a Black or African American client or consumer. What I am saying is, is that your staff makeup should represent what your client population looks like. And I'll give you an example of that the organization where I provide leadership. Our our staff makeup is representative of the clients that we serve. Am I saying that we are a perfect organization? Hell no. (laughs) But what I am saying is that our board makeup, our staff makeup is representative of the clients that we serve, both in race, in ethnicity, in language. Because no one wants to walk into a service agency and not see someone that looks like them. Let's do better, people. Let's not just do better for Black History Month. Let's do better, period. Representation is so important. It's so important. Strong cultural identity has been shown to improve social well-being, mental health resilience, and good coping skills amongst other benefits. Lack of representation within organizations can create negative stereotypes. And I think when Jonathan and I were having the conversation, I think he might've mentioned this, which can lead to the reinforcement of stereotypes, especially negative ones, especially towards marginalized groups. Not seeing representation of marginalized groups can be the difference between a client seeking support or not. And if a client is in a community and in need and they refuse to walk into your doors because they don't feel like they would belong, because they don't see someone that looks like them, or they don't see someone that they feel that they could possibly identify with, that is so problematic. I know we can do better. Because I believe in my heart of heart that people who do human service work and social work, I got to keep hope that you do this for all the right reasons. And I got to believe that those of us that are doing it for the right reasons, we continue to show up because we believe that representation matters. And we believe there's a better way to show up for our clients and those Who are not doing it for the right reasons, those are that number that we talked about a couple episodes ago. And that's why the trajectory of this workforce is so successful because people are always leaving. Because those are the folks, sometimes they're burnt out and it's just not there for them anymore. I believe in representation. I believe in belonging. Representation is a part of community. Belonging is a part of community. We've gotta always include representation. So this week's exceptional African American social service pioneer. This week we thank and honor our ancestor, Annabelle Burns Lindsay, 1900 to 1983. Annabelle Burns Lindsay was the first dean of the Howard University School of Social Work. After she obtained her undergrad degree, she enrolled in the New York School of Social Work as an Urban League Fellow from 1920 to 1921. Many years later, she completed a master's degree at the University of Chicago and then earned a doctorate in social work from the University of Pittsburgh. For a few years, she taught before beginning her social work career as a family welfare practitioner, agency administrator, and social work researcher. She joined the Department of Sociology at Howard University as an instructor and assistant in social work in 1937. In 1945, the School of Social Work was established at Howard University, and Lindsay became dean. When she retired in 1967, she was the only female university academic dean in Washington, D.C., During her career, she was committed to social justice and maintained a strong role in professional leadership while promoting the growth of the School of Social Work. Howard University School of Social Work became the second accredited school in the country serving Black students. Today and every day, the Passionate Stewardship Podcast honors Annabel Burns-Lindsay, for everything she has done to ensure that we can exist in a world and be in a service to our communities. Look, we have done and shared and covered a lot this month. We will not stop having conversations about the issues that impact Black and African-American professionals in the human service and social work field. We won't. And I hope that you'll continue to tune in. I hope you will engage in these conversations because they're important conversations to have. We will continue to uplift. We will continue to edify. We will continue to have hard conversations. Because we've had some hard conversations this month, but I think they will they are worthwhile conversations to have. You know, no one can validate or understand the black or african-american experience but a fellow beautifully melanated black or african-american so this black history month celebrate you, sis, celebrate you bruh celebrate the dr carter g woodson within you celebrate the abolitionist that is deep within you but more importantly celebrate black you know Self-care is health care and kindness is free. So be kind to someone today. I love you for listening. And until next time, be good to yourself and to others. Bye.